0: Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me is Mariah. Hello, Mariah. Hi.
1: It's great to great to be back. It's been about a year, I feel like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so, around that time. It's like, you know, now we can like drop people into like, you know, the same times per year. It's like we're starting to figure that out. But um, yeah, good to have you. I'm excited to talk about this movie. It was fun to revisit. And now, we, now especially, uh, like, this is a movie for us that I feel as though um, is the main, like, oh, yeah, like, we've, you know, I think we may have, like, seen it when we were kids, but we're now, like, finding an excuse to revisit and uh this is like the ultimate like oh yeah i think it's like better than we remember
1: that that makes me feel so old because i was in uh, graduate school when this film came out
0: <laughs> we get that a lot <laughs> but
1: but but what's great about this film is it works for graduate school and children it's perfect yes it's yeah, perfect yeah, it's
0: absolutely right yeah, yeah. um And also, like, you know, me now and you now. Like, it's not like, oh, this is like... it. And we were discussing before we started, like, it's not like pigeonholed down to its 3D. Yeah,
1: it works with or without it. it.
0: Yeah. I just love that you have, like, 2011 carved out also.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 2011 was... I saw a lot of movies in 2011 because I was in San Francisco for grad school. But also, like, that's the year that, like, movies broke me because I saw so many great films... And the Oscars did not really reflect how great 2011 was. That was the year that I was like, I'm done. Not done with movies, done with the Oscars. And I haven't really looked back since.
0: <laughs> Inarguably, I think the worst Oscars.
1: It It's, it, it's and, a it year, and a great film year. And a great film year. And you would not know that if you only looked at the Oscar nominated films.
0: A few 2018 has the same issue. A few
1: good films came in. Like, I think Hugo yeah. is a great film. But,
0: yeah in like the bulk know, tree of it of life. yeah tree of life yeah tree absolute life. And, trees, um, but you know we we really ride for moneyball um
1: moneyball's a good film but a
0: good yeah film. yeah but it yeah it, it's it, it's hard because it's like you know being represented by like the artist dominance and like we see this trend with scorsese like continually in the decade where it's like he's going to be like showered with uh nominations and it's like no we really really love you still but minimal wins yeah it's like um same thing happens to wolf of wall street if i'm not mistaken but um
1: an irishman with all the nominations and no wins yeah yeah. Yeah. and
0: then like silence is shut out it's silenced hey yeah um but uh this is we're recording these a little bit out of order but this is our second episode or our second episode in Scorsese month, yeah, Scorsese um, month, yeah. We're doing, yeah, yeah, and uh we uh we're very excited. You know, it's like um I am. I am seeing Killers of the Flower Moon on Monday. Oh, great! Uh, have you seen?
1: Oh, yeah, I saw it last yeah, week. Saw it last yeah, week.
0: yeah, I assume. Yeah, how, how did you lo- love? Uh, sort of liked.
1: Oh, kind of mid? mid. Like mid. I didn't hate it. I liked parts of it. Lily Gladstone is as fantastic as we know she is going to be. There's you can't get a bad performance out of her. Um, I think it has some issues though. There's been some really good writing about it though. Um, uh, Odie Henderson in the in the Boston Globe pretty much surmised my issues with it, where it's a good film, but it could have been a great film, and he kind of explains very similar issue to the issues that I had with it. So,
0: oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. um, that seems like a great film to like discuss after yeah. uh, seeing it, and like maybe even for some like you prefer to discuss it more than you do to see it. But um, regardless, like I am super pumped and then like, you know, like there's going to be a time where it's like, I'll not have seen it here, but then like in other episodes I will have seen it. But yeah, um, that's, that's, an, interesting
1: that's to, an interesting way to, you know, go back and forth back with and forth. his film. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that's the, true. Yeah. Looking back at Scorsese, <laughs> but you haven't seen the new one. And then looking back at Scorsese, yeah. but you have seen the new one. That's
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, that's kind of a fun experiment. Yeah.
0: Now I'm. We're gonna be asking like every guest in the Scorsese month. But what is your first memory of uh, of Scorsese, of, of like his films, and also like him as a like public figure? I'm curious.
1: Damn, I feel like because I, I was I born, I born I in the eighties, he was mm-hmm. already like a firmament. It was like him and Spielberg just sort of were a given. You know, like they there was there was no time before them. Um, I'm trying to think the first. Scorsese was a director I got to later because he made a, films for adults, you know, for the most part, um, whereas Spielberg, like, had Hook and E.T. and, like, films that a kid could watch. Um, so, really, the first Scorsese I actually saw was none of his 90s films were films of, a child should watch (laughs) and my my parents let me watch a lot of things that children shouldn't watch but I don't think they were really Scorsese fans so I feel like I didn't really get into Scorsese until college to be honest oh no I just remembered yes I blocked this out because I didn't like it um I think maybe the first Scorsese I saw was um The Age of Innocence and I didn't like it and I haven't watched it since and so I need to revisit it because everyone loves it and I'm like I little like 16 year old me hated it, so yes, that's actually. I think that it might have been the first Grizzazi I saw because I can't, I know I've seen them all now. Like, I started watching after when I was in college, um, The Aviator came out, and so I caught up after that. But, um, I think it was The Age of Innocence, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a great way to start. Um, oh, and then I saw, um, Right around the same time, actually, and maybe earlier. Now I'm all over the place with this, how the brain works, you know. Um, it actually might have been Bringing Out the Dead, which is a totally <laughs> inappropriate movie. But I rented it when I was renting Nicolas Cage movies, not because of Scorsese. Oh, I, you know, um, I think I saw that. That came out in 99, so I was 13 or 14. So way too young to be watching Bringing Out the Dead, and then I Age of Innocence was right around that same time. So I think it could—it's a toss-up for which one I saw first, but <laughs> around the same time. Really, not the not the movies you expect to be your first Scorsese movie. Yeah,
0: not like a Goodfellas or anything. <laughs> right. No,
1: I didn't see Goodfellas um, until I was like squarely in my twenties.
0: I remember from from my first Scorsese memory, it was the and I guess you know like we'll I'll. Reference mine on all the Scorsese ones. But I guess, like, the gist is my um, first one that I remember is Wolf of Wall Street. Like, Mm. I was uh, 13 when it came out. Uh, That was, like, the movie that it's, like, you got to see what happens. (laughs) Like, this is crazy. Like, they're, like, you know, like, of course, you have everyone is, like, Margot Robbie is the, you know, like, just, the, like, the massive crush of, of, like, our friend group, and, like, yeah like there's so many curse words, so much drug, like, of course, like, it's a totally different meaning for, like, teenagers that is as it is to adults, um, I did not see it, I was banned from seeing, like, my dad was, oh. like, you we're not seeing Wolf of Wall Street, uh, I did see Wolf of Wall Street anyway, uh, because, you know, everyone was, to, like, we gotta see this together, uh, it's so fun, and, uh, I think that was the first I didn't know who Scorsese was but I will know uh in a few years because like Interstellar was like the one that like made me fall in love with movies and like seeing that in theaters like unlock something and oh you know, I guess like Interstellar and Wolf Wall Street aren't like too far apart and then you know quickly learn who Scorsese was and and I was like Oh, like, and I think Scorsese is one of my dad's favorite directors, and my dad, like, showed me a few of Scorsese's films and, like, wanted to watch them together. Like, we watched Goodfellas together, um, Mean Streets together, Taxi Driver together, Casino together, Departed together. Um, But the first one that I, like, saw independently, because, like, my dad, like, wanted to, like, explain the movies and, like, because, like, they were, like, too adult or, like, too violent and stuff, um... Mm -hmm. The one that I saw independently was Aviator. Oh, was like, yeah. that was the one that's like you know, it's it's like not that violent. It's not too graphic. It's like you know, it's easy to comprehend. Like, and I I still have like a lot of affection for the Aviator. Um, it's so like refined. And like it has it finds an angle with Howard Hughes, and it's like it doesn't feel too bloated. It's not like a Wikipedia entry, like, copy and pasted to a movie, like, it's so, it's so, like, uh, you know, poignant about, about who he was, and it, it's, I, I think that movie's really great, uh, still, and um, it's still, like, honestly, like, a great DiCaprio performance, um, obviously, uh, like, Blanche's is, is superb, but uh, then I think, like, I just, like, yeah, saw it out, like, over time, like, a bunch of his movies, um, but yeah, Aviator, like, was really special, and, um, and then, like, you know, Silence, I remember being a big deal, but I think, like, it just didn't have that fanfare, like, Wolf of Wall Street had, and it's, like, yeah. okay, like, 2016, like, um, like, that was a movie that I always cite, like, like, you are starting to be, like, a better, uh, a better Twitter user, where it's, like, you know what some things are, based on like festivals and like people would tell you like, oh, what's good in festivals? And silence was one of those where it's like people said it was good, but um, I just, I, I think it was like too heavy for me um, at six, when I was 16. But um, but yeah, like that was a year where it's like, I don't think I would know what American Honey was if it weren't for Twitter and like yeah. people that, that were at festivals. But um, yeah, and then like, you know, like the Irishman was the first Scorsese I ever saw in theaters. Oh, that's fantastic! Um, and that and that was, and I saw it with my dad, and that was like, I, I just you know that's like one of the best movies I've ever seen. But I
1: love uh, that. Yeah, I, w- I worked know. on that movie. Oh what? Yeah. Oh, because you
0: were working for Netflix, is that? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. did all the um, all the social media for that movie. Plus, oh, that's so cool. Some of the experiential stuff in New York and um, the de aging. Um, Featurette that's on the Criterion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. have credit, but I helped co-produce that. <laughs> oh, nice. There's no, oh, my name's lovely. not on there anywhere. But I, yeah. I um, watched many cuts of that,
2: made oh, many that's suggestions.
1: Great. So yeah, no, my it's, little, it's my a, little tribute to or contribution fun, yeah. to Scorsese. Yeah. Did you ever meet him? No, and I worked oh. on that and. Um, Rolling Thunder review and I worked on these two movies and I never got to meet him. So
0: yeah, like two like totemic works, but But
1: I did meet um, Joe Pesci's security guard. Um, (laughs) No, I did. And I interviewed um, the supporting cast. So I interviewed um, uh, Anna Paquin and Bobby Cannavale and Ray Romano, who was terrifying. And <laughs> terrifying, and Jesse Plemons, who was the sweetest, and then Rodrigo mm-hmm. Prieto, the oh lovely cinematographer. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it was really, really fun. Those, I think, those interviews oh, are great. still on YouTube. Um, nice. Nice. And whenever wants to watch them, I, I, have literally conducted those interviews.
0: So. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch them for when yeah. research for that episode. They're they're like, pretty
1: they're pretty good. I yeah. am particularly proud of the Rodri- Rodrigo one because it was it's always fun to really dive into how a film is shot and the -hmm. the science behind it. And he's a very science heavy cinematographer. So he's had a lot of interesting things to say because that was such a challenging movie, obviously because of the de-aging and having to prep for that and the cameras Mm -hmm. they used. and...
0: And you can see like, this is a new age for like how Scorsese wants his films to look. Yeah, in this era, from like going from Silence from, to The Irishman to Flower Moon, where it's like yeah. Rodrigo and him have like such a key partnership, and and they from really this do. movie, like Robert Richardson shooting it, it's like you know, like so many contrasted lighting and like yeah, you know, it, the yellow it, is really pop. It
1: ties in a lot with you mentioned the, the Aviator. Um, both I think Hugo and the Aviator are him at his most film nerd. E in that the aviator, he changes the color timing to mimic Technicolor during the 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, and it's something that, you know, if you don't know anything about Technicolor, you might not notice, You mean, you'd notice it, but you wouldn't know exactly what he was doing with the colors. And Hugo is one where he similarly is playing with the compositions to almost make it look like hand-tinted silent films that you later see with the millias. But in such a way that it's like the costumes that peek out like hand tinting did in um, early silent films. And Mm -hmm. it's it's really beautiful how he is so nerdy in ways that is so palatable that either you notice it or you don't. And it doesn't take away like it's just an added bonus if you know what Mm -hmm. he's doing. Um, But it doesn't detract if you don't. I think I think that's kind of what's lovely about these two movies.
0: Yeah, or one of many like, things that
1: are lovely about yeah,
0: these two movies. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't like hinder on, like, oh, you must understand what I'm doing, or else, like, yeah. the movie just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Like, it's, a, you know, I heard someone, I was watching a video essay, and I heard someone describe this movie as a movie that he made for himself when he was Hugo's age. Yes. And that's, what that's it a, feels a really lovely like. way to think about it. it, yeah. is something that really speaks to um, the younger mindset of someone that's just like looking to escape their uh you know their current life but it's like something that is like bigger than themselves and like opening up to like what the world can look like
1: Yeah and sort of the way that Hugo and um the girl whose name I am going to forget uh, what is her name Is it Grace? No. What Isabel, is Isabel, thank you. I'm like what I just watched this movie. <laughs> um, the way that they sort of discover the um, the fragility of film and the fragility of of um, archiving art is, I think, exactly probably how Scorsese came to realize that these films he watched on TV were, like, crumbling, right? And, like, that's why he filmed the start of the F- Film Foundation. And I feel like you feel, like, him sort of emotionally going through what little little kid him went through when he was first learning about, you know, um, the way films can d- dissolve and deteriorate. And even though that's not necessarily exactly what's happening here, it's, it's that same emotion where they're discovering that, like... Amelia's films are maybe all gone forever, and you kind of feel like the feeling they're feeling is probably what Scorsese felt when he first had that realization that film is not just because you can watch it on TV doesn't mean it's been preserved, and that someone has to like really do the work. And it's like this is a kids' movie, and he's working through all of that, and so it's entertaining, and like you're watching it, and you're eleven, and you're just you're loving it, right? On on just the 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 level of kids having an adventure, I'm watching it and I'm in like film grad school and I'm like, ah, it's like a treatise on, on the importance of restoration and preservation, <laughs> you know? And yeah.
0: It works on so many levels. Yeah, It's, 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 true.
1: it's wonderful how he could make a movie that does both things. And you know, at the mm-hmm. time that he was making this, his daughter, Francesca, I feel like was about your age. So yeah. he was making a movie that she could enjoy just on the pure, adventure level and a movie that he could enjoy on a nerd level and i think that's i think that's beautiful
0: i it, it kind of reminds me of um Parchan chan wook making uh, uh but i'm a cyborg for his daughter mm-hmm. but in you know in his way <laughs> yeah you know, yeah exactly uh, that's you know that's a different that's a whole different thing but it's like yeah i i remember seeing this and it was, you know, as a kid, you're just like, oh, it's just, you know, you're going to the movies. And I think it was like at a birthday party. It was like even less like personal. But um, and, and yeah, and I, I think it's like the images do stick with you. Like like that. It's funny because like we brought up a, a, my favorite Mission Impossible movie, a Ghost Protocol, before we started, and um, Ghost and that was another one. Like I saw I saw at a birthday party. But the images really stuck with me because it's like that was like at a time where it's like, you know, you're, you're just, you're at a formative, uh, I mean, uh, I was, memory. I
1: was like 26, I think 25, 26 when I saw yeah. ghost protocol and it's still formative. Like I <laughs> really, cause yeah, exactly. I really felt like I was flying through the air. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, how you're on Tom top Cruise, of the
0: tower. I don't know
1: yeah. how Tom Cruise climbed that building. I don't want to know. No, he's like, a, he's a that's, maniac. He's, that's that's yeah. magic. Yeah. He yeah, is a no, maniac. He's, pop- he's absolutely he
0: powers. Um, and you know, it's it is it is like an interesting thing that this movie tries to articulate, where it's like, especially at this time. Uh, and in Scorsese still tries to articulate it that it's like movies have like a shelf life, and they have some sort of uh, love that each of them have, and they have a runtime where it's like they only are so and so long. Like you can't add anything to a movie. But it's, like, the way that they're supposed to be preserved is is something that people just may not know how to do. And it kind of reminds me of, like, physical media now.
1: Yes, exactly. Because,
0: like, you know, it's, like, you can just get... The way that Millier's films have been, like, um, mishandled is, like, similarly to, like, what we see with, like, streaming can just, like, vanish their films and, like, vanish a catalog. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, once you invest money into into like boutique blu-ray it's like it's like it never leaves you
1: my cat has joined the conversation she's a really big silent film fan so that's why Mm -hmm. she's joined in on this Mm -hmm. conversation
0: but uh, i I wanted
1: to ask you if you saw this in 3d i
0: think i don't think so
1: yeah because i know it didn't play in 3d everywhere yeah it was in certain places It i can't recall interesting did you see um Tintin also that year as a Spielberg I never
0: I actually just saw Tintin isn't that weird yeah because I because like I was catching up with some Spielberg once Fable Men's was coming out and that was one of them but I think I yeah I think for one reason or another just missed Tintin
1: yeah Tintin so I saw Hugo that's the same year yeah I saw Hugo twice because I saw um or is Tintin the next year no, it's the same year because he did Warhorse and Tintin the same year, which is crazy. But, um, it's because I saw it when it first came out around Thanksgiving, I guess. And then I saw it uh, at a double feature with Tintin. And it was interesting to see the two different ways they used 3D because I felt like Spielberg really used it in a kind of gimmicky way where, you know, things were coming out at you and, um, you know, they, he wanted you to jump back, whereas it really felt like Scorsese was using 3D to put you in the world and to evoke the way 3D was originally conceived. And even even Melies, there's early um, accidental 3D in Melies, uh, because of the way he filmed his films, there's a U.S. version and a a French version of a bunch. And so Mm -hmm. about maybe 15 years ago, uh, Lobster Films put out this, like, Melies in 3D that, um, because when you put them next to each other, they become 3D. He didn't mean to create 3D. This was an accident. But um, it felt like Scorsese was was really aware of that and trying to do it in a more artistic way. And so it was kind of an interesting Hmm. double feature to see these two filmmakers who have very different perspectives on filmmaking always really use 3D two very different ways in the same year. And I have to drink yeah. water again.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I wish that <coughs> there was, there was like some bigger lifespan of 3D and it wasn't like, I don't know, like what, how would you characterize it? Like, I would say 3D lasted from Avatar to like, I don't. I don't know. Like Avatar to Prometheus, I feel like that's.
1: I would say. It, I mean, really it, I, it started Avatar. a little bit earlier than Avatar, the, the new three D. Yeah, because um, like Up was in three D, oh, okay. and that came out I think a year before Avatar. They started to do three D when I was in college, so like two thousand seven. There was a few three mm-hmm. D things, and it was like right around when Blu Ray and HD DVD were having they were fighting it out for the home video and at the same time they were slowly bringing 3D back and you really saw like i think it was about 2007 to i think prometheus was really the last like multiple film years um and then you know in the last decade there's been like one or two films a year or they'll for a while they were doing that thing where they would shoot a film not in 3D and then post-production do it in 3D
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it looked like garbage just you know, I just it just looked really bad and yeah. and the few filmmakers who've tried it for creative purposes like Scorsese like um Van Wenders, and he has a new 3D documentary mm-hmm. that we were talking about earlier that I just saw called Anselm um, but he did Pina also in 2011 and Wenders really uses 3D to make it he about artists whose work, um, Pina being a dancer and Anselm's uh, Anselm Kiefer, I think is his last name, his art is very textual and tactile and 3D is the only way to do a film where you get a sense of what his art really is and 3D is pretty much the only way to really get a sense of what dance is, what it's like to really see dance live, right? And so you have these filmmakers who were using the technology for artistic purposes and then you have them like, Spielberg was doing where it was for the sort of the jolt and I, I feel like um, as much as I liked it uh, Cuaron did the same thing with Gravity where yes I enjoyed feeling like I was having asteroids like thrown at me but I also I don't know that it was the most artistic use of the technology other than like he yeah. wanted to try it you know which is like I respect you know he got here <laughs> and being able to try it but
0: yeah he got the Oscar yeah. Yeah, but I, I think, or, or or um I think of Life of Pi also. I did not
1: like or, that in 3D. <laughs> I thought
0: that was dumb. But. I I mean, like Tintin, <laughs> I only saw it within the last few years. Um and it is funny just to like I mean, I knew of Life of Pi, I think I knew what it was about. I um and you know, it is funny because, like then you have to be like <laughs> wanting to see something many years after and it's like it has no like yeah, uh, theatrical experience to like boost like its movies, um, like its weight, or like yeah, it, I, it just kind of like looks. don't think I don't think standardized like, on a TV. Yeah, I don't think that,
1: movie, don't think no. that movie works. Um, I don't think it worked with the 3D. I don't think it works on really. its own. I I was not a fan of Life of Pie. No. I remember I saw that on Thanksgiving, and I literally bought and brought with me pumpkin pie to the theater, <laughs> and that pie was good. Yeah, um. yeah. <laughs> the pie, When you know the pie is
0: by the movie, you're like okay, this is like yeah, yeah. that was rough. Um, yeah, and and yeah, and like you know the way that Scorsese uses it, you feel like it does add some like it doesn't yeah like the 3D doesn't weigh down the movie, nor does it like. Um, rely on the movie like or the like it the no. movie doesn't rely on the 3D and yeah for you to to like know like oh yeah like there are these silent movie references and it's something that uh is in conversation with Villiers' like innovative technology like it's yeah it's just so smart um and it totally works without it like yeah uh cuz like the performances are are like so good and the story is like really touching that it just like heightens like the fantasy,
1: and elements. even the action sequences. That watching it flat, you're like, oh, I can see this was definitely conceived, <laughs> yeah, for the 3D, and you see why it was filmed that way. But without the 3D, it still feels like an innovative action sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, like when they're when the train goes through the whole thing or when he's being chased like there's these moments where you're like you know what I can I because I saw the 3d remember what the 3d felt like but if I hadn't seen the 3d I would still be like wow this is a really great sequence yeah Yeah. I I think Scorsese was smart enough to think of the film knowing people were going to see it both ways and really film it in a way that would be dynamic if you had the three D or without totally. the three D. Whereas some yeah. of the people that use three D, I think they lean too heavily on the 3D, and then when you watch it without the 3D, you're like, this is it. I feel that way about both Avatar movies, by the way. I don't like either mm-hmm. of those movies. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: They're not or for, like they are Bob's not made not made for Bob's
0: me. movies. Like
1: Oh, you know what? I yeah. wish I had seen Beowulf in three D. I don't know, was that actually in three D? I don't know, but I liked Beowulf. I watched yeah, that for the first time so. recently, and I was like, this movie rules.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, like, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, it's so interesting that, you know, what he's doing now. But, uh, well, de- was definitely the walk. has, like, I think The Walk was in 3D. That or,
1: was in 3D. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was another one. Ang Lee's done a couple. He does mm-hmm. the high frame rate too, which is, it yeah, makes me yeah. nauseous. I can't do it. <laughs> it's
0: crazy. Uh, yeah, and, you know, it's like we've covered a number of films now that have had this, like, you know, that have, like, and tried to include themselves in this 3D era. And it's kind of interesting that it is an era, and, like, we just didn't find – I mean, I guess the high frame rate might be just – or, like, whatever Jim, Jim Cameron is doing, like, on the next Avatar. Like, that's the next step. That's but it the just new kinda, era, like, f- yeah. That's the new era. But it's, like, for me, it kind of feels like, oh, like, it would find, like, somewhere else to go – uh, after, like, you see these images coming at you. Like, there's just, like, that's, like, the wall that it hit, I guess.
1: Yeah. well, You know what I find is fascinating is that they're always trying to create a new sensation for filmgoers or, or right. whatever. <laughs> and personally, when I was rewatching Hugo, and it ends with the Melies, and it really is Melies' films featured in that sequence at the end, not recreations, I would rather I was telling this to Robert, I was watching, he was watching the end with me. I was like, I would rather watch the Melia's movies over and over than almost anything that's like a pop popcorn action like four quad Marvel thing mm-hmm. made today. Not to not to bring Marvel up but it's a Scorsese podcast and people <laughs> yelling at me. But like I'm using Marvel as like a um blanket term for the most popular cinema today. I it's a, I would just I would absolutely rather watch a uh, Emilia's hand tinted dragon thing. Some of the special effects in those Amelia's movies because he's doing in camera edits. I still don't know how he did half of it. I don't want to know. I know someone yeah. on YouTube probably explains it. <laughs> I don't want to know. I want to look at it and go holy shit every time and I that's what I, I have rewatched those Amelia's shorts many times and they're still so much like, fun.
0: Yeah, you know that there's a video online that's like a trip to the moon explained. Explained. And I'm like,
1: I don't want it. I don't (laughs) – you're wasting your life explaining this. You should just be watching it.
0: Mm -hmm. The movie is the talking. There is a group chat that I'm in that posed the question like a few months ago that was like, can we think of a film that was the last time that we were like truly awed by the effects? like practical or visual and I guess like the answer that we came up with was Dune but I feel like that was but that's like kind of a different thing since it is like so like hybrid but I mean yeah. nothing has really like wowed us
4: what is it
2: it's a wind-up figure like a music box
4: who built him
3: I would think a magician you say this a keyhole in the shape of a heart. Another mystery. I fixed the. There was a fire. You're coming with me. Where
4: are your parents, little man?
3: Uh... Go! Hey! Look aside! Look
4: aside, Mike! <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Hugo. Where do you live? Is it a secret? Yes. Oh, good, I love secrets. So you're all alone? Not completely. Where did you get this? Why would my key fit into your father's machine? Do you want to have an adventure? Child, it's Toru! I think it's a message from my father.
2: This is a treacherous place, do you understand? Watch your step.
4: It's Neverland and Oz and Treasure Island all wrapped into one. About this, we could get into trouble. That's how you know it's an adventure.
5: My life has taught me happy endings only happen in the movies.
4: The story's not over yet.
1: <laughs> the last practical effect, big budget practical effect that wowed me was Mad Max. Uh, oh, Fury, that's Euro. Yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. the things that George George Miller also a maniac, um. But the last small budget movie, actually, it came out theatrically last year, but I saw it at Sundance two years ago. It was called Strawberry Mansion.
0: Oh, I, I yeah, it's, I'm with you. I adore that. It's film,
1: yeah. it's beautiful and it's it's yeah. all hand done. They mm-hmm. do crazy. Like, I don't know how, I mean, I have I saw some of the behind the scenes stuff they shared and I was like, you guys are wild that your yeah. mind even thought to do some of these, these effects. Like, I wish that kind of handcrafted uh, artistry was more popular, like, because it is, I find it art in a way that I'm, no offense to coders, I never find video art to never, it doesn't touch me the same way. Or rarely, let will say rarely, like the original Tron I love, <laughs> the mm-hmm. like OG, OG, yeah. uh, shitty effects of Tron, yes, but um, most CGI stuff I'm just like, Ugh. and maybe that's because I was never really a video game person, so oh, it's, just not, yeah. it's just not, it's just not, it's not an art that I enjoy.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, something that Tron and honestly, like, Strawberry Mansion share in common is, like, there is this, like, homemade quality to them. Like, yeah. Like, I love that Strawberry Mansion is held up with, like, glue and duct tape. <laughs> like it, yeah. Like, the, there is something, like, um, like student film about it. But at the same time, it is, like, very calculated and, and meticulously put together. I like, and epic. And all the sets are so good. Epic yeah. purport- in yeah. its in storytelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, we need more of those to like, see to like be on the scale of like yeah, the counterbalance what Scorsese is doing visually here. Also, um, yes,
1: that's that's yeah. How I Fury feel. Road's
0: a good example, but it's like yeah, we have like sort of lost a sense of and like that was like seven years ago, or eight yeah, years exactly. Ago. Yeah, eight years yeah, ago. That's yeah.
1: wild. Can you believe it? Yeah, I yeah. can't believe that was um, eight years ago. What? I <laughs> know what
0: the heck. Um, and yeah, they- and that was another formative film for me where it's like. Wow, this is like I did not know like things could look like that. Like no, <laughs> but I mean, not, you know, not even adults knew adults can. Uh, no, you know, I saw. I like remember
1: that. seeing yeah. that and just being like, "What the fuck? Like, what is this? <laughs> How do you do this?" I know
0: because yeah. like, that was like not a very anticipated movie at the time. Where it's like, "This is what this looks like." That um, was that was intense. But, um, but yeah, I mean. There, yeah, and like you mentioned, like there are moments in here for not seeing it in three D, uh, like the dog. I think the like Sasha Baron Cohen has, where it's like you can see that like popping out. At oh or, yeah, like, the pages from the book or something. Um, but it never takes away from that, as like the movie just has a lot of heart and like it, it's truly like an adventure film. But it's like there. I think that the moments like those like keep it to a minimum.
1: Yeah, I think he does them occasionally and again, like the pages you're talking about, that's when they find all his drawings and the swirl of it still looks beautiful in 2D. The Mm. way he has the room and the frame filled and I think part of the reason Scorsese's films work um, as wonderfully as they do is that he's such a visual thinker, you know, like I'm thinking back to there's uh, they're floating around on the internet somewhere when he was like 12, he, he did the, um, what are they called? Uh, he sketched out the like, um, not mood board. Um, what's it called where they sketch out the frames storyboarding storyboard. Thank you. He sketched yeah. out a storyboard for like a Roman Epic that he wanted to make when he was like 12 and he oh, yeah. it's all written out exactly you know, and I imagine every movie he goes through thinking of it in those storyboard kind of mm-hmm. old Hollywood way of, of framing. And I think he's one of the last filmmakers who truly thinks about frames in that sense of like, if I pause it, is this gonna look like a painting? I think there's there's still a yeah. few filmmakers who do that, but I think the younger generation, there's they few and far between. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate,
0: especially here. Like th- that's an, and not even uh, re- like, and that's a good point where it's like it's not even reliance on the three D to like make the images really yeah pop. Um, like the color grade, like the colors like come together like in a moment where they're more muted or a moment where they're more exaggerated. Um, because yeah, like I just I love the way that the movie looks even in moments where it's like not even that kinetic um yeah i really love the way
1: he he creates um the train station the interior mm-hmm. life of the train station it's so beautiful yeah
0: me too yeah and yeah i think yeah that's like the key to this where it's like even in 2d it looks amazing
1: yeah and uh, and just you know i don't know he's a he he's not a perfect filmmaker but he's he's Mm -hmm. pretty he's pretty damn good at doing what he wants you know and as a technical filmmaker I think there's few that are comparable
0: yeah um because like I I was um as we all are like we're just like you know reading all the essays about and we can and like watching a lot of interviews and just like Trying And, and like, reminiscing on, like, the way they think about the world in in film. And it's, like, I was reminded, like, he was a kid that, like, was, like, introverted and uh, was a homebody uh, and had asthma. Yeah. And never really had the opportunity to, like, pursue sports or, like, pursue, like, like much maybe, like, of a social life. And it kind of, like, brought in this time to think visually and think about how to carve out your ideas without even, like... Um, without articulating it uh, verbally. And yeah. that's another example of, like, you get that sense where he's just always had this, like, way of thinking. It's like, oh, we covered um, Lincoln last year, around, you mm. know, around, around last fall. And we had this whole thing about, like, how there's just, re- like, technically, like, Spielberg may be, uh, like, the best, like, movie maker ever, which is, like, not a hard, you know – take to have and it's like similarly like these are the best for for a reason
1: yeah they um and mostly because they studied old hollywood which was such Mm -hmm. a machine and the best films made under that machine the ones with the highest budget with the best craftsmen truly are crafted unlike anything and if you study that you you know how to make a beautifully crafted movie you still need your own artistry your own vision that's important, but I think a lot of what was missing in a lot of filmmakers today is, you know, you have to, like, I remember I went to art school, and um, the guy, originally it was fashion. I started with fashion, and then I moved over to film, and um, I, you know, I went to my, like, meet the head of the fashion department or something, and I showed him my sketches, and he was like, you have a really interesting um, vision, clearly. Style the style of how I drew things, and he was like, "But you need to know the rules before you can break them, <laughs> so you need to come to a fashion school." You know, basically, he was yeah. saying like, "You got a point of view, but you, you're you're terrible," and it was a really <laughs> nice way of saying that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think I think a lot of filmmakers today maybe have that vision, but they don't take the time to learn the craft, and. Or at least minimum, surround themselves with people who've learned the craft. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you can see it in how just not timeless so much film is. Because even like, even the B and C level unit films from the 30s, 40s, 50s, you can still watch them today. And then, yeah, you can see the budget's not there, but there's something still timeless about the craft. That if you watch BC level movies made today, you're like, I don't, I don't think we're going to be going back in 40, 50, 60 years and being like, yeah, this is pretty good. We're going to go back and be like, what the, they spent money on this, you know? And that's, I think that's unfortunate. Yeah.
0: And and it's not,
1: it's really not that hard to just like learn your craft. I don't know. It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be something that should be, I shouldn't, we shouldn't have to say that. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine that this new generation that's coming up has been studying the same uh, class that, like, Spielberg and Scorsese followed. But even then, it is this idea where, you know, it is just, like, basics, like, blocking and storyboarding that they just nail. And this new generation, I mean, you know, there are, are, like, uh, like, um, decisions outside of their control, I imagine, like how so many are just sort of like sucked up into like the machine making Disney movies and Marvel movies. Yeah. 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 Um, but then, or, or, the, then or the, the streaming machine or the streaming machine. Exactly. Yeah. Like, um, but it's, it's hard. Cause then it's just like every, I guess, I guess I would imagine like every generation is going to like inspire the next. And then it's like, if, it's gonna get sloppier um, and sloppier. Yeah, and then they get sloppier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if if like, Scorsese is uh, inspiring a new generation, and like, and by this generation I imagine like, folks in their thirties, uh, or or forties. Like, did you, like, what do they take from Scorsese that that like are the incorrect lessons? Yeah. Or like, what are what is there like? You have a point of view, but you need to go to film school. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I I want to, yeah, and that's a really great observation. Like, what is the the B films from the 2020s that are coming out now that we're just, <laughs> that we can't even appreciate the craft, let alone, like, what they are textually? Yeah,
1: um, it's going to be interesting when people look back at the streaming films and not at the masters who made streaming films, not at the Box and the Scorsese's and what have you, but at the, the filler streaming films, mm-hmm. like what, <laughs> what is going to come out of that and be like, this is the hidden masterpiece. And I mean, I think I have an idea of a few that I'm like, there's actually some good things in there that, um, but for the most part, you look at it and it's like, this is just, it's just not there. And part of it has to do with the way that films are packaged today, where they're packaged mm-hmm. to, to, to go to a oh we have this actress make something around her but not in the way that like Betty Davis was packaged because they would you're making a Betty Davis movie but you had the artistry around it now you're just making a um, Bella Heathcote movie or whatever and I just picked a name at random I think that's an actress's mm-hmm. name um <laughs> but you're not you're not putting anything good around her you're not shaping her into something uh more than you know and you're just trying to get eyes on it for that Week as opposed to here on out. And it's just, it's depressing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause the lack of craft in modern directors has certainly lost the grasp to, I mean, it's certainly affected. Oh, I meant like, to
1: say Bella lo- Bella
0: Thorne. She's, oh, she's oh, the one yes. that's in a
1: million streaming. Bella Heathcote, I think, is yes. Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologies to the wrong Bella. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I guess it's like, another pipeline that's, like, affected is, like, Bell was originally, I knew, as, like, a Disney channel. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah. The, the like, Disney channel to mediocre streaming <laughs> is, like, things, yeah. a horrible pipeline. And I yeah, I wish it didn't happen to these talented
0: kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, like, what affects each other is, like, the lack of craft with, like, modern directors that, that should be making things that are sort of, like, mid. But then it's, like, you just we just don't have movie stars anymore that can yeah. carry... Films that are sort of like B products, C products. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, it's a different beast entirely. This may not fit that definition entirely, but I do think that uh, Babylon will live on yes. very well. Like, I think, I think time so. will, will, like, time will, will, kind time will be
1: film. kind to that movie. Um,
0: because it has performances that are sensational. And, like, if you don't, like, no matter what you have to say about the movie, you can't deny, like, Those are star level turns from everybody. Yes, and
1: the craft on every level is there.
0: Insanely good, yeah.
1: Yes, it's Um, that's. I could do a whole episode. Well, when you do uh, entering the 2020s, (laughs) I'll come back to that. (laughs) Um,
0: Yes. Uh,
1: But Damien is um, someone who's studied studied old Hollywood. He studied classic. He studied silent films. You could. Mm -hmm. I know he's seen hundreds of silent films because there's a lot of Easter eggs in that movie, and it's it's just um i wish more filmmakers even if you can't go to film school and i don't i think i wasted money at film school frankly but um the the access to these films that scorsese's always trying to tell people to watch has never been easier um in terms of both the physical media cuz so much old hollywood is starting to uh, come out through warner archive or criterion or million other, you know, smaller presses. Um, but the streaming, there actually is more access to older streaming now than when I, when Hugo came out, for example. Mm-hmm. When Hugo came out and I was in film school, I was, like, I used to watch TCM when I lived with my parents and then I didn't have TCM because I was not living with my parents. And I downloaded a lot of classic movies. Um, I was a pirate. I downloaded so many um, because they weren't available, frankly. And... Um, I wouldn't do that now if I was the same age now, I would just have the Criterion channel and I would have Max and I would have, uh, frankly, even Prime has more, um, random like forties movies and and YouTube is way better about, um, Internet Archive. Um, yeah, YouTube and Internet Archive both have way more, um, um, what are they called? Uh public domain films than even 10 Mm -hmm. years ago because more people have taken the effort to upload, which was always the the issue with public domain. It's just like getting it out there. And now uploading has been Um, easier,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's Um, made
1: it... I used to watch things on YouTube cut up in 12-minute segments. (laughs) I watched a lot of movies that way. Um, Yeah.
0: And And now I'm jealous of, like, the film nerds that are starting to discover it now. They can just
1: watch all of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, like, when I was a teen, like, I know, like, one, like, you know, one, two, three movies and Put Locker. Put Locker. All these, all these websites. I watched like that,
1: I, w- I watched Moneyball on Put Locker. <laughs>
0: oh, my gosh, yeah. yes.
1: Because I missed that, it in I theaters. But, yeah, Put well, Locker,
0: rest in peace. What was so important is, like, it would bring me things that weren't even on streaming at the time. Yeah. Like, films that, oh, like, what is this movie After Hours? Yeah. Or what is this movie called Crash? Like David Cronenberg's Crash. Like it is. It is like you know. You need other means for films. Like you know. Thankfully, both are on criteria now, and like are more widely available. But it's yeah, like, um, you know, uh, this was like like nine, eight years ago. Yeah, just like, you know, just things in, can in things can evolve decade. so rapidly. Yeah, yeah.
1: The and you know, and with the Letterbox, I think just celebrated its ten, 10 year, twelve year. Yeah. Birthday, something like that. That started when I was in film school as well. And the ability to discover, like, we lost something. I firmly believe we lost something in being able to wander around in a video store. Um, I never had a Blockbuster. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. But my video store, like, I looked at the VHSs and I got random things. And that's how I first saw um, both those Scorsese movies was I was, I think, um, Bringing Out the Dead was because I was on a Nicolas Cage Kick and um, I think I rented *Age of Innocence* for why no one a writer as as one does, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. y- you kind of we kind of lost that, but I think Letterboxd is the closest we've come to being able because you can you still get the like visual thumbnail, sort of almost like a VHX box s- style scrolling. That's a good you also see you by. also see the community. You can go through millions of lists. And then for the most part, it helps you find if it's streaming or on disc somewhere, right? And I think maybe we'll start to see, like, the generation slightly younger than you that is, like, truly grown up on Letterboxd. Um, so the generation that I theoretically could have birthed but have not. Um, <laughs> that's the generation I think can bring back good filmmaking based on learning from the masters as Scorsese says if they take the time to mm-hmm. to take the education they're getting through the means of of connecting to these films and then become artists i think it's possible the problem is will those people want to work into in the ecosystem that is filmmaking today or is filmmaking in 10 years i don't know that's the, always the hardest thing is yeah is um you have the people who have the skills and they don't want to put up with the bullshit and that's yeah that's a problem but i as as i've gotten older i try to be less uh, this robert will be like oh you're always cynical i am always cynical but and the on the inside i'm also like hoping to like yeah uh, hold on to hope and i i do think i think the reason i always get disappointed is i see all these ways that it could be great and then mm-hmm. and then how like basically the economics of of systems comes in and crashes the and like Mm -hmm. destroys it it's like the pipeline is there and then they just cut it off and it's like "Ah."
0: yeah and it's like you see it so clearly yeah it's frustrating
1: but i i i I have to stick to the hope that like (laughs) they'll come through they have the access to these films they'll be able to like have The it's vision and the talent and the skills that they can make it on an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like yeah. a Google phone if they are Google. Look at what person. Soderbergh's
0: doing. Like, it's so easy. Yeah. yeah. Like it's... And
1: Soderbergh is the perfect example, actually, because yeah. he learned from watching movies and listening to Criterion Laser Disc uh, director's commentaries. That's what he said. Yeah. That's how he learned how to make movies. <laughs> and that's yeah. literally what people have access to right now to learn how to make movies. It's like.
0: And like, he did that. Like,
1: like in the eighty, early
0: nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah. now, like we have Late so ladies. many more resources. It's... I, I have to be an idealist too, because I have to imagine, like, there's some, there's some out there that will take a serious approach to like studying the old masters and studying like what makes, um people that are considered great legitimately great yeah and not just like the things that are like you know their their trademarks and things that can be mischaracterized um, I, you know it's it's like silly to think about and I think we just mentioned this on on a recent episode but the idea that like what, what TikTok has promoted about like what mm. what um, what how cinema education has expanded onto TikTok is, like, very interesting because it's, like, Gen Z has taken this approach where it's not so much, like... It's in the middle of, like, you know, um, analyzing film, but it's also, like, trying to be insincere about it in a way where it's, like, accessible to be insincere about living cinema, where it's, like, I, where we don't know. I mean, like, I think it's very exciting if we have, like, um, a new generation below me that is trying to, like, form their own opinion and their own taste around cinema that they're not going to approach, like, Scorsese, but it's not like they're going to, like, mistreat it either. Um, yeah. Because I guess, like, I come in the... I guess, like, Gen Z comes in the generation where it's, like, we just... I mean, at least for me, where I was, like, I just missed the blockbuster boom. Like, like as I was discovering film, they were shutting down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you, Yeah, you came of age just when just when streaming... I think you probably came of age just when streaming was hitting its kind of... Or at least Netflix, like, when you were probably 11, because that was when this mm-hmm. came out, right? You were 11? Mm-hmm. That's when Netflix had its greatest library of streaming yeah. titles. Not not that it had made. It hadn't pivoted <laughs> to that. It was like the licensed yeah. library. The amount of things that I watched streaming on Netflix is insane. I, <laughs> I, 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 I went from... Like I watched Cinema Paradiso, and then I watched like a shitty eighties movie from nineteen eighty seven that was like, from Atlantic releasing. Like you know you could you could do the gamut on there. There's a breath. Um, yeah. There's a lot of things um, that I watched that were on Netflix. That um, do you know Larry Karaszewski, the screenwriter? Mm-hmm. So he he's a he's a friend of mine, and every once in a while he'll. Find a film on Letterbox, and he's like, "You're the only one that's seen it. How did you see it?" And I was like, "Man, this was on Netflix in 2011. I don't know. It's not available anymore. I gotta ask them who has the rights now." And he's done that a few times because I used to use it to watch things where if I I was like, "I've never even heard of this," and I've I've been a rabid cinephile pretty much my whole life with like lists and you know I would. I was like that kid with like millions of lists that I was always checking off. And so if there was a movie that I hadn't heard of, I hadn't seen the box for, I hadn't read about it, I was like, I'm watching it. That sometimes gave me gems. And sometimes I was like, oh, I see why I have not heard of this. (laughs) But (laughs) like that, um, even Tubi doesn't quite have the same. Tubi has a lot. a lot of, Incredible. lot of interesting things, but Netflix had even more than what Tubi has, if you mm-hmm. can imagine. Because um, there's still things yeah. that I watch that I look, and I'm like, I want to recommend it, and it's still not available anywhere. But Tubi comes I, close. Tubi comes yeah, really close. I, I
0: would say that I would equate it in the way where it's like, shoot, I really want to watch, like, this month, I want to watch, like, X horror movie, and in like oh man I wonder where this can be and it's like typically it's 2B 2B. but it's and then it just and like that has an an underrated selection in the films where it's like I've been yeah like I've been meaning to seek this out for a long time in the place where um, yeah in the place where it is is 2B because it's just like kind of fell through like the major streamers where they don't have a home for it and
1: 2B's like we got you
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. And remind me if you worked on this because I think I may have heard one time that you did. The streamer that be, that then became like my blockbuster was Filmstruck.
1: Oh yeah, I was the social yeah. media. Um, well, technically my job was social media, but I did like seven jobs at Filmstruck. I did social media <laughs> and like helped with the marketing on oh, so on jealous. like on the channel, and then that's so cool. I worked with this with the. Um, publicists and I worked with the curator. I worked with everybody. If you saw imagery <laughs> half the time, I was like the one making sure that they had the right photos because we had this terrible, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say this, but whatever, I'm telling the story. <laughs> we had this terrible uh, photo system that sometimes you would pull up a photo and if you didn't know that it wasn't supposed to be like in black and white, like this was a Technicolor movie, um, there would be some black and white stills and like occasionally a film would get on there with like the wrong, like it was a black and white still for a color movie or like a color still that the color was a little bit off. Um, and not everyone who worked there was like a huge film person because, you know, because just because it's, um, you look for someone who has a digital background, right. And they're not necessarily like a, for the UI of a website, right. They're not necessarily going to (laughs) be a film nerd. Um, so it's not a diss on, on the people who work there. Um, but every once in a while that this would happen and so they would have me like look at all the photos because they knew I'd seen all the movies and I would be able to tell them if this terrible photo system you know did them dirty. And so I was doing a lot of stuff. But Filmstruck was amazing and I, I yeah miss it nearly every day.
0: Yeah, it's intriguing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm glad no, I'm glad it, you I glad you uh I'm glad it was an oracle for you.
0: Cause... it really yeah, I know, absolutely. And and uh and I and it is funny 'cause it's like Oh, like FilmStruck just became Criterion Channel, from at least from my point of view. Like it just kind yeah, of yeah, I mean, rebirthed itself. But I, it's like that formation, like the you know the white background and like the logo, like it is so nostalgic. And
1: yeah, um, I have a lot of FilmStruck.
0: films. Like, I saw Razorhead for the first time there, and like I saw you know that was Paris the movie Texas first time. So yeah.
1: one of my jobs was whenever people would ask for recommendations on Twitter, I would I would reply, and um, there were a few movies that I would reply a lot. To people that I felt like would not get to it the, on their own, so Eraserhead was one I I recommended often um, to people I mean, who saw that. to people yeah, who funny. look like normies, I'd be like, right, we got a normie. I'm gonna make them watch Eraserhead <laughs> and like expand their mind. Um, and then I also recommended Desert Hearts a lot because I think oh, people yeah, people yeah people you know won't. Uh, always seek out lesbian cinema and Mm -hmm. that film is beautiful whether you're coming for it as a lesbian film or just as a romance like Mm a blanket romance it's just a great film so those are ones I pushed out on a lot of people but the fact that and I'm glad Criterion Channel you can sue this but the fact that we currently in the year 2023 can watch Eraserhead at any given moment Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is a miracle you can just be like you know what it's 2.03 in the morning I'm going to watch Eraserhead and you can do it (laughs) You can yeah, do it,
0: right? You can, you can, yeah, like, vi- like very easily too. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It just, but it, it it is interesting though, like considering that, because you can like so easily watch Eraserhead, but there are like, like there are many films. In fact, like films, I think with this Scorsese month, like Silence and Shutter Island, which it could be different, yeah, uh, depending on when we record those. But it's like at this moment. Uh, They're just not streaming. streaming.
1: I think I saw Silence on Canopy last year, so I don't know if it's still there or not. Oh, okay. But it was on Canopy. I own Shutter Island because I love that movie. But I agree. One of my favorite Christmas movies, this is not a good movie. I'm just going to straight up say it. It's not a good movie. Mm. It's called Last Christmas. Um, I love this movie. I forget who the actress is in it, but um, it's it's all George Michael songs and... um, it's, it's a terrible movie, but I, I love it. But it's not streaming anywhere. And uh, this last time, Christmas, I had to watch it on like a pirate website. So I think this year I'm going to actually finally, I'm going to buy find the Blu-ray. Hopefully it's not like overpriced because.
0: Yeah.
1: Why? I guess that one's not streaming because of the George Michael songs. I imagine <laughs> it's too expensive yeah. to license yeah. or something, but
2: I'm well, going to break, like,
1: break down and buy that Blu-ray because I like it. But I didn't want to have to buy it. I was thinking I could just rewatch yeah. it every year streaming. No,
0: something similar happened to me where it's like I was with my family and my mom wanted to watch the holiday. Yeah, and it was just like this is nowhere, and so we yeah. like, just kind of like I remember like, that like, season
1: where everyone yeah. was like, "Why is the holiday not streaming?" Even Nancy Myers was like, "What the hell? Like, yeah, this is a Christmas movie. It should be streaming at Christmas time." It's crazy,
0: right? Right? It's a great movie, but. Uh, so it's like yeah. it
1: really is like yeah it's weird there's it's more weird. there's more older films available now streaming than there ever has been streaming. I that that I have to say there are less things available than used to be on VHS that is always a mm-hmm. truth. But there are more things streaming now than there used to ever be streaming. Yet there are somehow less things streaming also because newer yeah. films <laughs> fall newer films fall out a lot of times and it's really it's strange how that
0: there's several films like yeah, like from the past when i when we had to watch it for this pod but it was just nowhere to be found and we had to like access one of those websites which is like yeah you know kind of a dirty thing to there's you know speak about but it's like yeah it's like we, still, we don't want to pay for it there's still a like couple, we're subscribed to so many services
1: yeah there's still a couple of i mean there's a there's a service that i use if i literally can't find it anywhere like if i can't even rent it for three dollars there's a website i use and mostly the films are there sometimes they're not but mm-hmm. um and i feel like i'm in my putlocker days which is weird <laughs> like I, yeah, I shouldn't yeah no, shouldn't i know it's still in to...
0: 2023 we can, we're can we still in putlocker days i don't know yeah it's, the same place you watched moneyball
1: yeah you know what i was gonna skip moneyball and then it got nominated for best picture and i was like damn mm-hmm. but it wasn't back in theaters yet and so I watched it on
0: Locker. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember this movie being like a big deal when it came out? Because it didn't make its budget back, Hugo. Which, uh, yeah. When, so, like, Which I was surprised to see.
1: Weirdly, I don't remember anyone else seeing it. Like my film school oh, cohort, they were all about 20, what were we, 25, 26. So everyone was between the ages of 24 and 30, basically. And I don't think people sought it out because they thought it was a a kid's movie. Um, So a lot of people just skipped it because they were like, I go for Mike Scorsese for, you know, the body count or whatever. And um, it is a big, big change for him. And I don't don't really remember it blowing up. Um, Even on Twitter, it wasn't a huge Twitter movie. It wasn't a big Tumblr movie. This was like the height of like Tumblr movie fandom. It wasn't a big Tumblr Mm -hmm. movie. Um, and I think partly because it was a kid quote unquote a kids movie, and partly because yeah. it was so deeply about silent films, and because it came out the same year as the artist, like mm-hmm. that really overshadowed a lot of the like uh, hubbub of old Hollywood fans. Everyone was clamoring over the artist, which I think is not nearly as good, both in terms of just the filmmaking, but also as an homage to the silent era. Like there's more, there's more knowledge in. Hugo than there is in the artist but people love Uggie so much and I understand it <laughs> Uggie was like a star and Uggie is eternal but that doesn't mean the movie is that great right. <laughs> you know just because it had like the greatest maybe one of the five greatest movie dogs of all time I think that was a lot of people were riding high on how cute Uggie was
0: if that were the case then a lot more movies would have best picture
1: <laughs> yeah Been... yeah but um that didn't I don't know. the artist' fever really was, yeah, the artist that must was, have been
0: weird to live. Through. The artist fever was
1: intense. And because I'm a yeah. silent film nerd, everyone was like, "What did you think of the artist? And I was like, <laughs> if I tell you, will you go back and watch a bunch of Frank Bersaghi <laughs> silent films, or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, the other thing that was, and this might have been a San Francisco specific um, like frenzy but uh, not to mention a cursed filmmaker, but uh, Midnight in Paris played Mm -hmm. at the Embarcadero Cinema. It was like a, I think it's closed now, but it was a landmark cinema that had like seven or eight screens. It played in one screen there for literally a year. Oh, wow. It played for a year. And not like (laughs) played and like, you know, five people came every day, like sold out screenings for a year.
0: (laughs) And I, it played like Titanic. Oh yeah, gosh. it really did. That's crazy. And
1: it was yeah. like, you, if you wanted to see Midnight in Paris, like I saw it when it opening weekend, but if you wanted to see it on one of those later ones, you had to buy your tickets days in advance for like a year. <laughs> um, it was a true San Francisco phenomenon. I That's don't, wild. Yeah, it I,
0: don't was. I
1: think it probably made, yeah. you know, a big chunk of its box office Just in San Francisco. It's crazy. Can you imagine any movie now staying in a theater in in the United States for a year? Like, wild. No. In the same theater. In the same theater, too. Not, like, floating around. Like, the closest since then is um, when I lived in in Atlanta, when I worked at Filmstruck.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Moonlight played for five months in the same theater. That's the closest comp that I have to that I've never in my life seen any other movie play in the same theater for a year it's crazy
0: the closest comp that I can think of um friend of the show Charlie Nash works at the Coolidge and oh yeah yeah and everything everywhere all at once was there for wow like nine months wow
1: yeah I can imagine that movie had really long legs
0: it had legs Yeah. yeah yeah
1: Yeah, it was like um, when I was in high school, my big fat Greek wedding played for almost a year. I think in theaters, <laughs> that was a true phenomenon. Wow! Like, romantic comedy amazing. came out of nowhere. If you look at it; the budget's yeah. like twelve million, and it made like two hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> like what? That's that's that's, why that's actually not. why Tom Hanks can do whatever he wants with his life is he made so much money producing that movie. <laughs> And yeah. he has oh to think his. That's true. He yeah. has to thank oh his wife God. for that. She's the one that told him, like, yeah. we need to yeah. do this movie. So way to go, Rita. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rita. Yeah, way to go, Rita. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> like that's, um, But most movies, like, I think, um, every everything, everywhere is like truly one of the last. Yeah. Big finale. Like, it's gonna be a while before we have a movie that just a a, a small movie too, because it's, it's yeah, less, like *Barbenheimer* was
0: something special. Yeah, it's less
1: always. shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Great to see two big movies uh, also have legs, but um, mm-hmm. the idea that like a small movie will have legs anymore mm-hmm. is just like seeing yeah. that everywhere everything everywhere was able to do it is gives you that like ember of hope but mm-hmm. it's like I don't know
0: it's tough. it's yeah. tough I
1: don't know. but.
0: Um... I think yeah, and uh, like like this movie being dinged with like it's Scorsese's kids movie, I I, I can imagine must have heard it.
1: Yeah. Um I really think like, it it did it was
0: really it was well reviewed. Yeah, just, critics like,
1: critics loved it. It was on a lot yeah, of top just ten to make, lists. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just didn't
1: make its budget back. It had the most Oscar nominations that yeah. year, and people were shocked.
0: <clears throat> Thanksgiving is a good release for it. Like it's yeah. interesting. It's like yeah, like I
1: do think that the in... the marketing. I don't know that the marketing department knew Paramount had this film, and I,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I just don't know that they knew how to sell it, because because yeah. of the tension of oh. this is a Scorsese kids movie, and it's like, the misconception as someone who I know has seen silence and like condone and stuff like the misconception of what is a Scorsese movie is so prevalent. Like I think most people think Scorsese movies are all the same the way that Quentin Tarantino's movies are all the same. Whereas Mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino has a very pretty narrow, like, you know what you're going to get. Maybe Jackie Brown's kind of the most not like his other movies, but even then it's very violent. Um, Mm -hmm. Scorsese, the conception of Scorsese is really about six films out of his like 20, mm-hmm. but it's everyone thinks that all his movies are those six films, and it's like, n- n- no, this man made contemplative movies. He made a movie about a woman who's a waitress, like yeah. who's attracted to nothing but shit men. Like, there's yeah. there's so yeah. much. He made a crazy musical with Liza Minnelli, yeah. like, yeah, he really has a, a lot of variety, but the brand. Around his name yes. is so strong as like he just makes gangster pictures, right?
0: Absolutely, and that's patently not true. Um, I mean, looking at the decade that we're just covering, going from this Shutter Island, Silence, Irishman. I mean, yeah. that's such a variety. It's like
1: every kind of movie, yeah. and then in the yeah. middle of there a couple of documentaries. It's like yeah, right, um, right, right, right. It's he really isn't what people think, but so trying to market especially cuz at the, at this point he's coming off of 5 years after winning for uh the departed yeah. which is a very yeah. violent movie right mm-hmm. and it's sort of hard to, as a
0: marketer also the year after shutter island i bet
1: yeah, yeah i'm putting on like my marketer hat like they didn't know how to market shutter island either to be honest mm-hmm. um but uh as a marketer I, I could see how they'd be like, uh, how do we convince people who want to Departed to see this movie about a kid named Hugo? And how do we see kid convince parents that a movie from the guy who made The Departed is safe for their kids, <laughs> right? It's real tricky. Yeah. And then on top of it, it's about, like, silent films. It's, like, it's mm-hmm. a very tricky film to explain and I remember the trailers being a bit too wacky like wackier than Mm -hmm. it actually is um, which can be off-putting for serious people although serious people should honestly just trust Scorsese right you know but I feel like there wasn't a trust there and so it's just one of those movies that I feel like was just similar to Babylon bringing it back to Babylon Mm. a hard film to market and I don't know the good thing about you know film made by someone like Scorsese or like um, Chazelle is like, it It won't disappear, right? Like yeah. there are too many people that love these filmmakers, so they'll get returned to. And like, for example, um, you saw this as a, as a kid, right? And then you later mm-hmm. became a cinephile and you're like, I got to go back. And there'll be people who will come to it. Um, well, Scorsese is getting a little older. Hopefully he doesn't die. But there'll be people this year, let's say, keep it to the present, There'll be people this year who are teenagers who will probably see um uh Killers of the Flower Moon and go, Who is this? And they'll go back, right? And they'll get to see it. And the same thing with Chazelle in Babylon. Someone will see something he does ten years down the line and go, oh, I gotta go back and be a completist. And thankfully Certainly. Thankfully yeah. with filmmakers who it seems will likely have fan bases behind them for for a good deal or at least be in the history books like chazelle i don't know if the fan base will stay but he won he still holds the youngest best director Mm -hmm. winner right so he's always going to have that so cinephiles are always going to want to look at his filmography i think that's an anchor for him into history um that these films if they bomb won't be lost like for example one of my favorite bombs that i think is kind of lost is um um sky captain in the world of tomorrow have you seen that
0: i have to remind myself
1: sky captain in is, the world uh, of tomorrow it's from 2004 that's the only film uh, these filmmakers made it's got um it's another one that's very it was a hard to market film because it's made in the style of like 1930s comic books
0: but oh, that's intriguing Oh, not
1: Law. It's such a weird movie. I rewatched it recently and I think it holds up. It's but it's so weird and so idiosyncratic and they raised the money like independently. This big huge budget and But it's a movie that's kinda of lost. Seventy
0: million dollars.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it's a movie that's kind of lost to the hmm. the sands of time because the filmmakers didn't make anything else. This was their pet film. Um mm-hmm. they had such a bad experience making it and getting it made and getting it out there that they were like they walked away from Hollywood and Hmm. yes maybe Jude Law completists or Angelina Jolie completists or if there are some Gwyneth Paltrow completists will go back (laughs) and and watch it but it's never it's not like a Scorsese film that has an anchor or a Chazelle's film that has an anchor yeah yeah Um, and that's kind of unfortunate
0: well it reminds me of what we mentioned earlier where it's like I mean it is on max right now for, for those oh, that great see, everyone yeah, right now yeah go for watch those it that see it and it's are great curious. um and like yeah yeah and it is it is things like that where you just you, you may be like oh what are like you know one-time filmmakers or something like i know that's like a letterbox list that i have saved yeah um and it's like it and, be but like, those are the films
1: those and, are the films that sometimes it'll take decades like nine of the hunter didn't really have a resurgence mm-hmm. until the 90s it it languished for thirty years as like a failed film, and you watch it now, and you're like, "Who thought this was a failure? What? Know, yeah. Like, it
0: damn. was so ahead of its time. It's
1: so yeah. yeah, it's so ahead of its time. And uh, Wanda, another one that was just misunderstood. Yeah, right. Yes, yeah,
0: that's a great example. Um,
1: it's but it's similar to bringing this back to Hugo. It's like. You have to somebody has to make sure that those films don't fall into the cracks like what was happening with Melias. What was happening mm-hmm. with a lot of silent films, they were falling through cracks. But there's always like you know, I think there's a line towards the end where they're like, We we went through barns and we went through archives and blah 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 there's always gonna be those like weird people that are like hey hey, hey I love this and they have it and um, you were talking about physical media like I own Sky Captain on DVD I don't think it ever came out on blu-ray frankly I'm not sure but I own the DVD <laughs> and it you will yeah pull that DVD from my cold dead hands um, <laughs> and that's when I keep hoping like shout or somebody will like do a fancy... It deserves, maybe next year, because it'll be 20 next year. But, um, oh. there you know, that you were talking about that how films can sometimes have a shelf life. It's it's unfortunate that um, a film like that, because it doesn't have a hook like Hugo, it takes people like me reminding people that it exists. Whereas Hugo, it, it's always going to, people are always going to remember it, even if it didn't make money, even if it didn't <laughs> make the impact it maybe should have at the time. Yeah.
0: That's like the fortunate thing with like films that don't do as well with like Scorsese and, and Spielberg. Where it's like you you just like they're always gonna have a career. It'll it'll exist somewhere in, at this point. Yeah, it'll exist. And it's just like sometimes it's just like it's like we think of this idea in the decade where it's like things just like had a bad release year. Like if you yeah. imagine this film like releasing at the time where like silence did and maybe silence released in twenty eleven. It's like you can see they may what be, media does they maybe they maybe would have done yeah, better. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's like, um, yeah, it, it is this idea where um, you know, the, at the end of the movie, like we hear about like the chemicals that are in the in the film and like like yeah. what the science behind it is, and it's like with physical media, it's something you can hold. <laughs> like it's your it's your personal property, and like you know you pay for it. Like, yeah, uh, a lot. Of, it's a it's a big, uh, you know. Uh, financial commitment and it is it, you know it, it is it is very fun like just to collect something you love it's like a record like a vinyl record in that way Um and it's uh and, yeah it's something to like to like see on a shelf is just like vastly different from something that is like uh that's in a max catalog Um yeah
1: and you never but, know yeah. you never know what max is good like I used to work at Warner yeah. Brothers and the amount of time that I worked there it was Time Warner when I first started, um, they were bought three times, I think, before I left that company, so, like, relying on these companies that are the rights holders who get bought and sold and moved around so many times, it's really, it's really terrifying to think, like, and it's grateful for something like, um, Hugo, because it was nominated for Oscars, anything that's nominated for an Oscar, they have to donate a film print, not a digital, but a film print, to the Academy Archive, right? But I don't actually know if they had to, to give a 3D version, right? So
0: mm,
1: wow. is the 3D version actually archived somewhere? I don't actually know. Yeah. I don't actually know. And I wonder if
0: that goes for any films that were, like, you know, Life of Pi or Gravity. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, I would yeah. h- hope that the Academy Archive also kept a 3D version in their archive since that's a version of the film that existed. But, um, you know, it's 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 sad to think that, like, sh- sh- should a film, so many films aren't nominated for Oscars, right, that don't make an impact and maybe don't end up on streaming and then, like, do they end up in anyone's archive? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. tend to I tend to buy uh, films directed by women. If I really like it, I tend to buy it if, right away. Um, for example, I did not buy uh, "Can You Ever Forgive Me" right away, and the Blu-ray mm-hmm. the Blu-ray went out of print, so I just have it on DVD. <laughs> yeah, because I it's couldn't so even weird. get a Blu-ray, like, or, I, it might like not that, even yeah. come out on Blu-ray. I I forget I forget why it is, but I can mm-hmm. only get it on DVD. And um, for a while, like. Uh, there was, there's this, actually not for a while, there's this Swedish film that I love, or Finnish. I can't remember if it's Swedish or Finnish, but it's called Turn Me On, Damn It. And I bought like the last disc off of Amazon a couple years ago. And oh, wow. it has been out of print ever since. Like they were like, we have one left. Yeah. I'm like <laughs> buying it.
2: Well, I said, well, it's a fantasy film. I said, no, it's not a fantasy film. The fantasy is the child's imagination, who's, which is also George's imagination, George Melies. The fantasy is what we're doing now, right here in this room. With these lights and cameras and mirrors. Something else is existing there. I don't know what, but there's something happening that's not part of our normal day, literal nature of how we live, but we're trying to create something different in a way from. uh, But that fantasy, yeah, that fantasy is there, but it's not a fantasy film. We all felt this must have been the way... Uh, It's as if you go back, uh, being a child, and you start to play imaginary stories, making up imaginary uh, characters. And, um, yeah, there was this excitement of doing something new and special um, and uh, something audiences hadn't seen before. Uh, It wasn't necessarily... I don't say this in a negative way, but it wasn't necessarily professional in the way, okay, we're making a film, it's gonna be 15 days shooting or 20 days shooting. No, this is something very special. And this was a a mission, an obsession.
3: Magicians used machines like this when I was a boy. Some walked, some danced, some sang, but the secret was always in the clockwork.
2: I was really drawn to it first um, because of the boy and his isolation. Um, keeping him away from the outside, from the world, actually, in a sense, and he had to look from the um, uh, the outside looking into a world. Um, immediately, I, I associated, I guess I associated because, I just do, because it is, it is part of, a very, very important part of my life, and that was when I was three years old in 1945, it was uh, contracted asthma, and I was kept away from most anything, uh, children would do, so uh, my parents um, uh, would take me to the uh, movie theater, see films, because it didn't involve sports, or it didn't put me in a a place that had any kind of um, greenery or any kind of nature to it, which I was allergic to, animals, that sort of thing, so they took me there, and so there was kind of, I guess, an empathy with the boy reading the book, and the fact that it's resolved through this machinery, this, this invention of cinema, which uh, creates, uh, um, not something tangible, by the way. Can't, can't hold cinema, or you can hold a statue or a painting, but it, 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 it's not tangible. It's something that happens in uh, the mind and the heart of the, uh, the spectator.
5: If you've ever wondered where your dreams come from, This is where they're
2: made. Add to that the fact that I was lucky enough to have a daughter at a late age, in my late 50s. And she just turned 12. And what that did was link me, interestingly enough, to uh, the limitless, I'm not saying I have it, but it linked me back to the limitless imagination of a child, where they can expect anything believe anything create anything because there are no there are no restrictions
4: good day monsieur where are your parents i work with my papa george at the toy booth surely you've seen me there before and this is my cousin from the country hugo
2: being kind of sheltered especially in my childhood i was fascinated by these stereoscopic images i saw and um when i saw them with a stereo device, uh, there's, a, that's a, there's a world that's created, an ambiance that's created in the image, uh, particularly in the view masters. Uh, there was a, like looking into a, a box in a way, and a, a window, really, a window. And inside the window, it went on limitless infinity perspective, and uh, it had a quality to the image that somehow sparked something in my and my imagination, that created another space that that's not real. That wasn't real around me at that moment. That, that, that real that, that wasn't practical. It wasn't literal. And so, um, for me, three uh, D became a fascination. And then, of course, the three D films were made in 1953. I saw all of them. Um, most of them not very good, but I did was fascinated by the stereoscopic image. And I've always has I always have been. The 3D for me was really exciting. I never thought I'd get to make a 3D film. Um, But all these elements just came together. The timing was right. But I must tell you that 3D, even though I designed the whole picture in 3D, I did as many uh, designs as possible uh, with Dante Ferretti and with Bob Richardson. No matter what happened, whenever we put that rig in position, that camera, everything changed. And... um, Therefore, it was not only just an exciting experience making the film uh, and having the aspect of the, uh, having the the sense of almost feeling like children again, but also it was pretty um, risky and terrifying. Uh, But we were there. We had started walking on the tightrope and you're not gonna go back. Gotta go ahead. (laughs) And so, We were, uh, every shot was something that was new to us, really. And new elements just popped up that we never expected. We did tests, it doesn't matter how many tests you do. It doesn't matter. But what was happening in those frames when we were working with this particular system uh, was, yes, I could feel that world coming together. I could feel it. Uh, I didn't know exactly, ultimately, how, how how it would look together completely. That is the heightened versions of Paris, for example, meaning um, it's Paris, but it looks like Paris is a slightly animated, well, it feels like it's painted, but it isn't painted, it looks real.
4: I'd imagine the whole world was one big machine. Machines never come with any extra parts, you know. They always come with the exact amount they need. So I figured if the entire world was one big machine, I couldn't be an extra part. I had to be here for some reason. And that means you have to be here for
2: some reason too. Once we decided to do 3D, we realized there was a, a, a very strong re- uh, responsibility and uh, an obligation to do something special, but we didn't try to have the 3D overwhelm the movie, the story, you see. And the story itself takes place with, okay, things that, are, that occurred in the past. But as far as if the film, if I feel like I can make a movie in black and white, and we can't use 16 millimeter anymore. Uh, uh, but we can get a feeling of that. And uh, yeah, there's these new cameras. Let's see what this new technology could do. I mean, it's opened up everything now. It's, it's um, uh, cinema is still with us and will be with us, but it's uh, gonna be made differently um, for the new generations uh, to take advantage of. Fix it.
5: I know you've been stealing parts in the shop. Might as well use those you haven't in yet.
2: I never did imagine that I'd find a a project that had all these elements that interested me, that uh, that more than interest me as part of my life, which is uh, filmmaking and um, a sense of uh, heritage of filmmaking, uh, the preservation of it, the restoration of it, um, and the worry about the preservation and restoration of what we're doing now uh, uh, in terms of film or um, digital. the future. No, I I had no idea that I would ever find one that would combine all of this together, and um, it turns out to be that uh, Hugo, the invention of Hugo Cabré, it was a perfect vehicle.
0: Yeah, like, wh- why does it make it so difficult? It just has never made sense. It's, it's a little bit of, like, you know, you mentioned this is the last year why, you, like, you really committed to the Oscars, where it's, like, you just see that, like, the artist was overshadowing something, like, very similar to, like, Hugo. Yeah. But it's, it's then, like, the artist is then overshadowing everything, like, getting picture director, actor these major prizes because, like, the artist is ultimately, like, uh, I mean, sorry, the artist – uh Oscar campaigning is ultimately a par- a popularity contest and there's now a game that's placed yeah. onto, you know, celebrating cinema. Because wasn't it like something uh um the Weinsteins like catered to Charlie Chaplin's family? Yeah with they the and they like, did that. it was like that's crazy. They, like you shouldn't be allowed to
1: created um they created a, a special award for films made in Los Angeles that year. Um and the artist was the first recipient, but it was like, no, it was created to give an award to the artist, to sure, make it, yeah. to to add, <laughs> add like, you should be voting for this film because it's bringing film back to Los Angeles and, mm-hmm. like, bullshit, things like that. Um Always be, like, uh, judgmental of something that's like, the first recipient is X thing and it's something that's running for something. Just know that it yeah. <laughs> it's the first recipient because it was created yeah. Literally to push an agenda, like
0: it could have been the Artist Award, yeah, yeah, it's because um, like for someone that is to me a uh, spokesperson and a face of cinema just as much as he is his own career as Scorsese is, like no one is going to be uh, <laughs> like watching old Michael Hlavacik's interviews, like seeing like what he appreciates about cinema and like the things that led up to the artists no. like I did with Scorsese and like you know cinephilia to me was always like a tree that like you can branch off of and like uh seeing other like you know without Bill Hader talking about Barton Fink I don't think I yeah. really know what Barton Fink was speaking but, like, of that
1: though I do have one bone to pick with this movie and I didn't notice it when I saw it 10 years ago but I watched it this time and it stood out like a sore thumb. There's this sequence where they're in the uh, archive and they're reading the book about early cinema, right? And it's like there's some line about uh, uh, you know, it started out as this as this um gimmick and then people learned that it could have n- narrative and a story and it goes immediately to Melia's and then there's like a montage with like a Pabst film and a couple of other silent films. My bone to pick is the the very first narrative feature was directed by Alice Guy Blache And this was already established in 2011. This had been established in the 90s by historians. I think Scorsese should have known better and had a shot from uh, The Cabbage Fairy. Just one little shot. I don't know why he didn't do it. I don't know why he didn't do it. And so if you're learning about... Not that you should be learning about silent films from this movie, but if you are... You would you would be uh, You would then you'd be led us yeah, you'd be led so, astray yeah. because you would think, Oh, Melias created narrative cinema. No, he did not. Yeah. <laughs> Alice G Boucher did. And I just that really stood out to me this time because I've I've um in the ten years, twelve years since this came out, become a scholar on films directed by women and that goes all mm-hmm. the way back to Alice G., obviously. Um so it's something that <sighs> would really stick out for me. Like if I'd seen this movie and had knowledge I had now when this came out, I would have been like, "Ah, this movie sucks." <laughs> um not that it it doesn't take it all the way down, like it's just a minor. It's both a minor irritant but also kind of a major one because Scorsese should know better. He should know better. And when yeah. you're um he's one of the big shepherds of cinema history and he's leaving things out, that's that's mm-hmm. dangerous. Same thing. I mean, I love uh, Martin Scorsese's trip through American cinema. Like, it was a great primer for me when I was first really getting into old old cinema. I think there's one film directed by a woman. I think he has one, Dorothy mm-hmm. Arzner, and that's it. And you're like, there, <laughs> there were a lot more films available. <laughs> like, there's lots of films directed by women from the beginning, even in America. But... I will give him that he made that in the '90s, and that research was just sort of nascent. Like it was only a couple, like maybe fifteen years old at that point. So yeah, I'm gonna give him a pass on that one. But at the same time, he hasn't in the years since gone back and made like if Scorsese did a. Martin Scorsese presents uh, the history of films directed by women or something, people would actually know more about film, the history of silent films directed by women than they do now because there's like a small but mighty um, bunch of scholars like doing this work and most casual old Hollywood fans don't even know half these women exist. But they would if Scorsese did something because he's like the one guy who can make people like understand – history and he's done a, you know like his world history project has highlighted so many countries where people frankly think cinema doesn't exist and he's like oh ho ho they've been making films for a hundred years and so i just it's one of those like aspects of him his his uh curation of cinema history that i feel like i'm like just just do one thing
0: <laughs> and now it's like we can so easily see a reality where there is like a global cinema project but for, like, with the amount of research and dedication but for, like, you know, female filmmakers. Yeah, and yeah, and, and like, he's like, he's done again, a few. Again, you can see the pieces.
1: For, he's done a few in the um, World Cinema Project, which is great, but mm. um, part of the reason, not to bring it back to Babylon, but part of the reason I love Babylon so much is you could tell that Chazelle had done the work of reading a lot of these scholars of women's cinema because, not just because it, there's the female director person in it but mm-hmm. there's homages to a lot of silent films directed by women that your average person your average old hollywood person hasn't even seen but i know he's seen them because he's doing an homage you know and that's someone who did the work to make sure that he's his presentation even though it's heightened fable you know and he's he's playing fast and loose with um mm-hmm. things that aren't real and things that are real and yeah yeah he's, he's 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 playing with it on purpose um, but the history that he does get in there is the most up-to-date version of the era, the most up-to-date with the research, the most up-to-date with the historiography. And I got I to gotta love it. I got to love it for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. instead of... He, he, I don't think he... I a lot of people accused it of perpetuating the myths, but I think you can tell when he's playing with something that's fake. Like, yeah. if you're smart. But I don't know, maybe yeah. people think... Uh, I think a lot of people give too much like don't give enough credit to audiences
0: yeah that movie's dead people are hard on that movie but, they were really um, hard on that movie
1: unnecessarily but
0: yeah but it's, um, it's a similar no, I'm, in your, I'm in your corner it's really it's really something it's, it's, it's a, something interesting
1: it's a similar text to hugo that hugo mm-hmm. you can just watch hugo and enjoy it or you can watch hugo and see all of the uh Homages he's doing and like, there. there's a recurrent homage to um, Le Bet Yumen, which is not a silent film, but when the, the, um, the train is coming and the guy sticks his head out a couple of times because he's gonna like hit Hugo. That's a direct homage to Jean Gabin in Le Bet Yumen. and every time he did it, I was like, he did it like three times, and I was like, you love that movie, I can tell you love that movie, but you don't need to know that he's doing that. It's a cool image on its own, right? But it's kind of mm-hmm. fun to see him because that was a French movie in the 30s and this is a movie set in the France in the 30s. And so, you know, it's... I love a movie that has, you know, layers to it where... Layers thematically, but layers Im- Im- imagically? That's not a word. um The imagery layers where it, it works. Yeah. You, there's just so many different ways to watch it. And I really appreciate that about this
0: movie. He may not have... I saw an interviewer... Tell him, like, you haven't made a movie for kids, but you've made a movie about family, and this is a movie about, you know, uh, found family and and, um, a blood family, and, you know, but we we see it through uh, Hugo's eyes that um, it's one of these things that it's, yeah, he makes movies that change with you over time, Mm -hmm. and um, it's not... Yeah, I, like it, he doesn't have to like lay it on thick to like have its movie like spell out like what it's about because like it can be about like, you know, the search for, um you know, the search for cinema and like what it means to these kids, but also like just like a journey of like self-actualization. Yeah. And it's like that's carried through uh, in the works to come in the 2010s and also like, how it's in the conversation with the works before uh, Hugo. And yeah. Like, you know, yeah. It's like, that's, this is all you want. Like, it's, it's a great yeah, film. I'm, I'm with you. Like, this, it's, it's a really, really great, great film. Um, did you have any like opinions or, you know, new opinions on Asa Butterfield or Chloe Grace Moretz? Cause I, I still think they're, um,
1: I still think they're great.
0: Yeah. They were really, they're, they're really, really cute in this. I um, think Chloe's like, accent is, with,
1: is really, yeah. she holds it. Like she, a lot of kids, you know, when they have to do a British accent, they like, they'll lose it in and out. I feel like she holds it pretty, pretty. I don't know why they're having like French kids have British accents. That's weird. But, um, I don't know. She's, she has that wonder to her that you want for an adventure film. Um, Mm -hmm. Asa Butterfield, the way he plays this character reminds me a lot of the actor from The NeverEnding Story. Very similar sort of, um, emotion, emotive performance, um, because he's going through this sort of basic adventure, but he's carrying a lot of trauma with him underneath too. And I think he really, he really nails it.
0: Yeah. They're both 26 now. So like, I'm always rooting for, uh, actors around my age, but, um, it is kind of interesting because like, they're both like actors that uh, were, uh, like twelve, thirteen when this was out, like fourteen when, yeah. when they filmed it, and and they've and it's kind of interesting, especially for Chloe Grace Moretz's case, that they've been in, in our lives and in so many movies for such a long time. They're just twenty six, like right yeah. now. It's like yeah. they just you know, and um, you know. it's like
1: for for my generation with, um, uh, Kirsten Dunst. I think I think she's I think she's maybe a year or two older than me um and she was and she was a kid you know she was like 10 Mm -hmm. or something when she did Little Women and yeah I was eight what (laughs) yeah she's (laughs) just always been there
0: yeah she's just like always been like a part of your life yeah yeah uh and you know in in Chloe's Grace Moritz you know when we covered uh um let me in like mm. a, like the year uh, prior to this uh, similar like kind of innocence and like um, like a sadness that I, that I think is just like really great with just the way that she holds herself in uh, you know in film Yeah. And, no they're both really really great here because I mean you know he's just like, I remember a when
1: uh, it got all the Oscar nominations I think it was Chloe to Asa but it could have been Asa to Chloe on Twitter she was like, "Look, we did it!" <laughs> and it was like this cute little tweet, and you're like, it's "So cute!" Oh, that's if that back when Twitter was still somewhat wholesome. Yeah, <laughs> can't have that kind of uh, sweet no, sweetness no. anymore. No. Yeah. No.
0: Why, would you? Why would you? No. And um, I guess like the closest, like I guess for me when I have like a better recollection um of like awards uh, season is like uh when um Paul Meskel was nominated and After Sun got in like yeah. You know, like his sister tweeted um um he was on FaceTime with um with the actress from AfterSun.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. that. That was so yeah. sweet.
0: That was cute, yeah. But, yeah,
1: we don't get a lot of wholesome moments no. like that anymore.
0: No, not on X. Uh but no. we uh should we? Yeah, maybe we'll go to favorite scene unless you have any other.
1: No, yeah. From... Favorite scene
0: sounds good. Yeah. What is my? Hugo. What is my favorite yeah. scene in Hugo? Yeah. Do you have
1: a favorite scene? You know what? Honestly, it's it's that last sequence where Melies comes out and he like pulls the curtain and then he mm. he they do the same kind of in camera cut. Well, it's a fake in camera cut, obviously, but it looks like an in camera cut, and then it's the actual Melies, and then it's his um the montage of his films I've watched that sequence so many times whenever I'm like depressed that's one of the ones I'm like I'm that's just going to yeah. watch this like <laughs> last six sequence of of uh Hugo cuz it's just it's it's such a beautiful story about um like as much as I love the two kids and their and their journey to him having like a family again Ah, uh, you know he talks about how ah uh, you found this little um machine and you fi- and you fixed it, and the- he means himself because he's like the little he he brought back the spark and you know I'm a little old softy at heart so seeing like an old man mm-hmm. like melt and become, you know joyful about cinema again, kind of feels like maybe a-, a little bit of Scorsese like. Finding the joy of cinema again, I don't know. But it's sweet, I love that ending.
4: Honored guests, I am proud to welcome you to this gala, celebrating the life and work of Georges (laughs) Méliès. For years, most of his films were thought to be lost. Indeed, Monsieur Méliès believed so himself. But we began a search. We looked through vaults, through private collections, barns, and catacombs. Our work was rewarded with old negatives, boxes of prints, and trunks full of decaying film which we were able to save. We now have over 80 films by Georges Méliès. And tonight, their creator and the newest member of the Film Academy faculty is here to share them with you.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, I, I am standing before you tonight because of one very brave young man who saw a broken machine and against all odds, he fixed it. It was the kindest magic trick that ever I've seen. And now, my friends, <clears throat> I address you all tonight as you truly are, wizards, mermaids, travelers, adventurers, magicians, come and dream with me.
0: Yeah, it's a really great ending, and especially when it's when in, when it's like, it, like I would ima- I would think so that, in some way, Scorsese is prone to having a happy ending, in like sometimes in a twisted way, but it's sort of like yeah. a happy, you know, maybe that's a generalization, but it's like a happy ending that makes sense for the characters and that is like um, that's honorable to the characters and yeah, and and this is no different. Um, and uh or or at least like this ending feels like he got to, he got to like he didn't have to compromise, you know, yeah. it's like this is the ending that clearly Scorsese wanted and like he wanted to do and and also made sense uh f- for ending um Hugo and Isabel's like journey into like, yeah you know, the the meaning of of art and not just like the celebration of art where what it also is, but it's like like this is what it actually like. This is why it matters.
1: I also do like the sequence um where Melias is telling them about the creation and then Scorsese gets to recreate the props. Yeah. That is super fun. Um well, those that's props. actually very funny. Well that was that was
0: actually my choice. There you go. For, uh, I'm gonna
1: let you talk yeah. about
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love it so much. I, I love that like Ben Kingsley is also fantastic in this scene. Yeah. Uh like like really is like locked into what um what we see, I mean, it goes back to the idea of, like, this is a Scorsese movie that's made for Scorsese, uh, but not in a bad way, where it's, yeah. like, this is, like, what I'm sure he imagined filmmakers are like. And uh both in, in their, you know, collaborative process, but just in the way that they see a production. And just yeah. the way that they, like, want to make people the, to the best of their abilities and... <clears throat> uh you know, it, it reminds me again of, like, uh, in that way of, of, like, the way that we were talking about Spielberg in our Lincoln episode. Uh, Scorsese, he's one of the great collaborators yes. Um, yes, of our time and one of the great, like, um, like captains, I guess. Um, yeah. Because it's like, of course, he can work with the same crew, but it's, like, how he can work with actors and even, like, below-line the line folks, I'm sure, is, like, undeniable. And this is just another projection of that where – Yes. Uh, this is like an idealized version of that, but it's like it, it just—it feels like such a you know complete vision.
3: Oh, but you see, I have met him. <laughs> My brother worked as a carpenter building sets for Melies. One day he took me to visit the studio. It was like something out of a dream. The whole building was made of glass. In reality, this was to let in all the sunlight necessary for filming. But to my eyes, it was nothing short of an enchanted castle. A palace made of glass.
5: wondered where your dreams come from? You look around. This is where they're made. Ladies and gentlemen, the sun will set. Knights in position, lobsters in position, mermaids in position. Action!
3: five hundred movies. He was phenomenally popular in his day.
4: But... uh, Why did he stop?
3: Up until today, I believe that he died in the war. Like so many others.
4: Could we watch some of his movies?
3: I wish you could. But time hasn't been kind to old movies. This is the only one that we know of that survived out of hundreds one and still it is a masterpiece
1: and it's it's just such a it's such a joyous like yeah. hip hymn to filmmaking like a little yeah. chaotic, a little poetic um the big <sighs> dragon head mm-hmm. is like. I'm sure he had a lot of fun like looking at um because I think there's still like in the in France there's the papers of how he built all that stuff. So being able to like look at the film and then look at the papers and then try to recreate it. Yeah. <laughs> and um he's such a um attention to detail kind of guy. He was probably trying to find like the exact materials, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's just super fun. Some of the most playful yeah, he's a big nerd. playful yeah. filmmaking he's done. He there's a few moments in Killers of the Flower Moon that I think you'll really enjoy where he is equally playful um, with the form of cinema that um, were the parts of the film I liked a, a lot, obviously, because mm-hmm. I mean, you'll see. When you see it, you'll be like, oh, that's the yeah. part Raya yeah. likes. So I see why she likes it,
0: yeah. <laughs> did you review it?
1: Uh, no, I did not review it. I was not assigned. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. So. I
0: know Robert did. I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah, he, he reviewed it, it at a but. can. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, he saw it all the way back at Cannes.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, Lucky Duck, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, yeah, I was trying to think of what I uh, um, said about that scene, but it's, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I, you know, this is, I mean, honestly, I think all of these films that we're going to be doing, aside from The Irishman, because I feel like I have such a strong... Like love for the Irishman and like such a strong memory of it like I'm just thrilled to be going back and revisiting um, <clears throat> all the films with this one especially where it's just like what, what do you even think about films when you're a kid but um, yeah and uh, and like we do for um, uh, for for any guest choice episode but this month especially because it's just like you know seeing someone's work like over the course of these episodes will be a lot of fun but yeah um, yeah, Mariah Gates, thank you so much for yeah, joining us.
1: Really yeah, I really enjoyed having a reason to rewatch this movie. I actually, yeah. other than watching that last sequence a lot, I actually don't know that I watched the movie all the way through since I saw it in theaters mm. way back when. So it was really lovely to get to revisit it and see what it's like without the 3D. And it was a really interesting experience to remember what it was what the scenes were like in 3D, and then seeing it not in 3D, be like, this actually works both ways. Like, it yeah. was it was a really yeah, fun, it's a good reminder fun, of that fun yeah. experience yeah. for me to revisit. Um, so,
0: well, I mean, like, tell me if you agree, but I mean, like, that's sometimes the issue of films that get sucked into award season because it's like it's a weird phenomenon, and maybe it's like you know we don't know how to articulate it, but it's like like that it will be like memory held. To yeah. that year, yeah, and it's like th- that's like okay. Well, uh, the award season's done. I don't want to think about X movie anymore. Yeah, I wanna, it's or it's that like I don't want to think about it more. Like that definitely happens. Like it's, yeah, like I mean, depending on like you know, it doesn't even matter sometimes if it's like great or not. Um, sometimes films do transcend that. Like I, I know like Moonlight, it'll be in my life forever. Yeah. I know Parasite will be in my life forever. But like some things, it just sucks because it's like. It's better than just like its award season uh, uh, push may may lead you to believe because I know like yeah I keep I keep bringing up our Lincoln episode but Lincoln was like that for me where it's like this is far better than I uh, I was a big um, fan I remember it
1: I was a big fan of that movie when it came mm-hmm. out I really liked what it was doing but it, I see why a lot it, people were really split on that film I don't know mm-hmm. people tend to get split on Spielberg though. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I yeah. So we we'll have, to go, have to go back i have to go back and things. listen to
1: your Lincoln yeah. episode. You're making me really hyped to hear your yeah. thoughts <laughs> on it.
0: Yeah, it's it, no, that one's really fun. It's I actually it's visited.
1: Who, who I visited respects. one of the towns where it was filmed in Virginia because I was working oh neat I've been working on a biography of Joseph Cotton off and on for like many years now. And he was born in the town of Virginia and they filmed it. They filmed part of the film there. And they have these, like, Lincoln head stickers, like his hat. Not his head. That sounds gross. Stickers of his hat. <laughs> and it'll be, like, on a business. and It'll be, like, Lincoln filmed here. And <laughs> oh, they still had them up. They still yeah. had them up. Like, I went on that trip ooh, four or five years after the film had come out. And they still had these, like, Lincoln was filmed here stickers. I was like, that's <laughs> adorable. I love this.
0: That's got to be a town where it's, like, do you want it, like that's? It's got to really own that. Like yeah, that's, that's, that's like, all like it's got it's, going for it. It actually <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that thing. town yeah. was
1: going bankrupt when I visited, and everyone was like, "You Eighth. you shouldn't be visiting here. We don't have a fire department <laughs> right now." And I was like, "Oh, whoops." <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think they've okay. I think
1: they've figured it out since then. So they're no longer yeah, everyone. Make sure
0: town. you're safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this will be out next week. If you have anything that's oh be
1: yeah out what, by then that you're working on, what, then, what am I working on? Uh, Oh, I have several interviews that will be coming out in the next week to to month-ish. I spoke to Raven Jackson from All Dirt Roads Taste of Salt. And I also spoke to Emerald Fennell from Saltburn. And then next week I will be interviewing Meg Ryan. As a director, not as an actress, even though she is also an actress in the film. So that's very exciting. So those will be coming out, um, all for Roger Ebert, over the next couple of weeks. And those films will be coming out, and they're all great, and you should see them.
0: I am, like, really, really stoked about don't, dirt road Alder Roads. Alder roads
1: is yeah, my yeah. favorite movie of the year. It is ah. so beautiful. It is...
0: I mean, Barry has... <sighs> Immense taste. Yeah. In, in producing. Yeah. And once and I saw that name, it's like I'm in.
1: Her um Sinohar- her short film Nettles is on Criterion Channel, and I've oh, legit okay. watched Nettles at least ten times. It's one of my all time mm-hmm. favorite films, and it's it's not very long. It's like twenty minutes, mm-hmm. I think, and really great primer for what she does in the feature. They're not. It's not a develop like the feature is not related to just in terms of her filmmaking style. It's similar, um, but. Yeah, hype, you know, hype I, for
0: that movie. I, we should. I should. I'll wrap up in a second, but my. I. You know, there was another episode that I mentioned it. I think it was Assassination Nation, that my favorite movie of the year is How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Oh yeah. And I think that Daniel Goldhover is. It, honestly, I. I meant. I honestly should have brought it up earlier. Like that is someone that I feel as though is like has a great, like. Craft and like you know, sense of the camera. Like, I, I don't know, it's just like that. That film was just tremendous, I thought. Yeah,
1: um, it's a really good film. Yeah, um, Sasha Lane and such a great actress. Yeah,
0: Sasha Lane is no, she was done dirty, but
1: yeah, she's a great, um, great actress always. Yeah,
0: I can be found on Twitter at Jack A. Draper and on Letterboxd, Jack Draper 7. Uh, I have writing on film at the Boston Hassle, and uh, this film is available on Amazon Prime. You know, funny enough, with our streaming uh, conversation, but um, that's I think that's a place to see it right now. And next episode um, would be I. You know, it's like I think that we're trying to rework like we were. The original plan was that we would release them like in order of release, uh, but you know. I think the next episode will be Silence with Josh Polanski. Oh, um, that'll be fun. And uh, that'll be fun. Yeah. It's very a, different a, film. Especially. <laughs> very di- Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, which I, you know, and I mean, like, you would know better. And I imagine Silence, like, uh, you know, could have much in common with uh, Flower Moon. But.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answer. Not going to say but, uh, how, but yes. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, yeah, make sure to share this episode, subscribe to us, rate us, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Exiting Through the Twenty-Tens.